Lauer Radio presents Art as Worship with Vanessa Lowry. Welcome to Art as Worship. Each week we feature stories of artists and explore their process of creation. I'm your host, Vanessa Lowry, and I'm thankful that you're joining me. On this show, I talk with artists of various faiths, working in a wide range of mediums, on the common theme of how they use inspiration and creativity as an expression of their spirituality. Learn how their art is an expression of their own connection to however they name God, Jehovah, Allah, Source, the Universe, the Great Mystery, or something else. My hope is that these stories will inspire your creative efforts and your own spiritual expression. My guest today is Sybil Macbeth. She's a dancer, a doodler, and a former community college mathematics professor. When she moved to Memphis in 2004, author Phyllis Tickle nudged Sybil to write about her prayer frustrations and the visual and active prayer practice that she developed as a result of them. She now combines her experience in the mathematics classroom with her lifelong love of prayer to offer workshops that engage differing learning styles. As the author of Praying in Color, Drawing a New Path to God, she has led over 100 workshops and retreats. She's also the author of Praying in Color Kids Edition, and her latest book is a Praying in, Praying in Black and White, a hands-on practice for men, a collaborative effort with her Episcopal priest husband, Andy Macbeth. Praying in Color has been translated into Korean, Spanish, and Italian. Welcome, Sybil. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you here, and, I, and you mentioned that you're a, a lifelong doodler. So I'm curious, um, at what point you decided that doodling was something that you wanted to incorporate into your prayer practice? I think it came by accident. It's probably been close to 10 years ago. A whole bunch of people in my family and a bunch of friends had these terrible cancers. And I I kind of lost my words. I, I got tired of my uh, puny prayers, which were things like, you know, please God make them well, or please let them feel no pain, or let Sue live to see her children graduate from high school. And, and I just felt like those were sort of silly silly efforts at prayer, and I'm sure God didn't care, but I cared. And I am a doodler, and one day I was doodling on my back porch, and I like to draw amoeba-type shapes and add color and lines, and <clears throat> excuse me. And I, I realized I'd written the name Sue in one of the doodles, and Sue was my sister-in-law who had stage 4 lung cancer. And I just kind of sat there and continued to draw and add color and kind of focus on her name, and I realized after a while that what I was doing is that I was praying for her, that I was spending time with her, I was offering her into God's care, and that I didn't need to have words, and God didn't need me to have words, but I just kind of needed to be with her and kind of release her. Well, and I so love, that's where it started. I love the, there's a number of lines in your book that I think are really wonderful, but I love this line in your book where you say, um, I need a way to pray that suits my short attention span, my restless body, and my inclination to live in my head. Because I can so relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> I say I got a prayer form out of all the things I can't do. I can't <laughs> sit still. I can't draw. Um, I can't, um, you know, I can't find the words when I eat them. I can't focus. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great that you've then developed, you know, from, from those things that make each of us unique... And those things that we look at and say, oh, they're bad, are also what makes us unique. And now you've created this format that allows other people that have, you know, those similar kinds of challenges to really spend time with with prayer and spend time right. with God in a different way. Right. 
and, and I think one of the things I like to do when I'm doing a workshop is I might say, you know, this prayer form might not exactly be work for you, but I hope it gives you permission to kind of explore what you like to do and what, what your strengths are and what the things you can't do are, and maybe you'll come up with a prayer form that's kind of just suited to you. Right. Well, and, I, and in your bio, we mentioned that you and your husband have come out with a, another version of the book that is praying in black and white for men. So did you right. find that a lot of men were having trouble with the color aspect of the praying in color? Not that they were having trouble, but that most of the time, and I don't, maybe this is true with many sort of spiritual workshops, that the percentage of women there was probably 90% and, you know, and 10% men. And we think men are big doodlers. I mean, I see men doodle all the time. And when I was teaching math, you know, they doodle all the time. And it's kind of like, why wouldn't this work for them? And, um, you know, you don't have to like pink or blue or whatever to do this. And kind of off the cuff, you know, when you're sitting at a business meeting and you, you can draw on a piece of paper and kind of shoot off a prayer. Um, so that was sort of the, the, the uh, and, and it's, that was sort of the idea for the book, but it was also, also women like the book just as well as men do. Right. But it was sort of a special invitation to men to do this. Well, and I think, you know, having, having something that speaks directly to a particular niche of people is always, it, it, first of all, it's a smart marketing tool, but it's also it helps people relate to that topic for themselves as well. Right, right. So I know in, in addition to um, the doodling workshops that you do and the books that you write, you also are a dancer. So I would love to bring that part into our interview as well, your, your experience as an artist, as a dancer. So um, at what point in your life did you start thinking of yourself as an artist? Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I certainly don't think of myself as a visual artist even though I do spend a lot of time doodling. Uh, a couple years ago, I was a, the artist-in-residence at Memphis Theological Seminary, and I kept saying, no, I'm the non-artist-in-residence. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always used the arts, I, and I, sometimes I've said I specialize in mediocrity. I do a, a lot of things kind of pretty well. <laughs> I dance pretty well, and I can doodle pretty well, but you know, calling myself an artist is really, that's really hard for me. It's kind of like saying I'm a ballerina or a mathematician, and those are words I've never quite, uh, I have never quite said, because partly because I don't think they're true. I think mathematician, ballerina, artist sort of says there's a level of excellence or um, depth that I'm not sure that I have. Well, and I, I love that you don't think of yourself as being at that level of excellence, but it doesn't keep you from doing it, that you are doing it anyway. Well, that was hard to come by. I'm a third-generation Sybil, and my mother and grandmother were both artists, and I've never gotten above a C or a C- minus in art. And about 30 years ago, this friend of mine invited me to her house for dinner, and we had this wonderful time. And after she, dinner, she said, now we're going to draw. And I thought, oh, what a, what a way to ruin a lovely day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but she had these lovely art markers, uh, fancy markers, and I said, I really can't do this, Cindy. And she said, go in my kitchen drawer and grab some kind of implement. So I went in her drawer and, and grabbed something, and she said, now trace around it, and when you finish tracing, just keep going. And she really set me free. She gave me permission to use the tools of an artist without having to worry about the product, that it was really about the process. 
and I, and I think uh, is it Paul Klee who says or Paul, Paul Clay who says uh, drawing is taking a line for a walk. <laughs> so that's kind of how I think of it. But she really, but my friend Cindy really did set me free to kind of draw uh, without having it to be anything. So when you do your workshops with your um, diff- with your people around doodling, do you find that that some people get stuck thinking, "Oh, I'm I'm not an artist, so I can't do this." Well, I try to dismiss that right away, and I give them a, a remedial doodling class. Um, so we, you know, I'll say, "Okay, tell me some shapes you can draw, and what can you do to add to those shapes?" And you know, squiggles, lines, dots, and what, when I do a long retreat, like a weekend retreat, I have I'll take. Uh, get five or six people around a big piece of paper, and I'll say, okay, first person, uh, you have 30 seconds. All you can draw is lines. And then second person, you draw triangles. Third person, you draw circles. And at the end, I say, okay, now you've created a work of art, and you have one minute to come up with a three-sentence story about what this is. And usually that kind of, you know, takes the edge off that a little bit. So it's, I, I try to use sort of playful formats to get people to do things that they might be scared about. Well, and you were mentioning you know, earlier about your friend giving you permission, and it sounds like you give your students permission by you know, just saying, take this tiny little step and then this tiny little step, and then let's see where it goes. Right. Let's it's take that line for a walk. Little increments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how does, how does your, your spirituality find expression in your art? Um, I think it does in many ways. I mean, I think that, you know, having now this prayer form that involves art, and sometimes I'm not praying for other people. Sometimes I just use it as a form of meditation to get still. So I might just start, I might start with what I say a God word. It might be God, it might be uh, Holy Spirit, it might be Beloved One, it might be Mystery, and then I'll just start drawing and kind of just sit with that and use it as a time um, of listening. And it also invites, I think one of the reasons I like it is it invites my body into the prayer. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, it's, the, it's almost like this is an invitation for all of you to be participating in this. And so that's, that's been helpful to me. I think the other thing that I noticed, I, I didn't grow up in the Episcopal Church, but because my husband has been, has been an Episcopal priest for a long time, I never appreciated the kind of sensory experience it can be to be um, in a in a church that has stained glass and that has smells and that has sounds and that even if you're not paying attention to the words, all those sort of um, sensory things bring you back to the big story. Um, they, I, I don't know. They just and and even the 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 images of bread and wine, sort of earthy things and wine, which is kind of a dangerous, um, rich kind of a beverage, which is, you know, to me sort of indicates, yes, you know, having a relationship or a spirituality with God can be a dangerous thing. It can take you places you don't know where you're going to be. Go. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that you bring up that that sensuous part of it. You know, I I kind of had a similar experience with prayer beads. A few years ago, Uh I got interested in malas and I actually started using malas in some of my prayers and meditations and I remember having um, breakfast or lunch with one of my friends who is Catholic and I was just uh-huh. going on, on on about how excited I was about these prayer beads and he said well Vanessa what do you think rosaries are <laughs> I said <laughs> I never knew right. <laughs> you know right. that wasn't the that wasn't 
the faith that I grew up in. And so I didn't know that that could be such a physical way of keeping you, keeping you centered, just like the prayer, the prayer doodling can keep you centered. Right. I think we used to, dis- we, we have dismissed those kinds of things as being, you know, a heady, a heady culture, you know, and all those sort of, oh, that's just simple prayer thing. But it really is one of those things where it incorporates the whole body into it and gives you something to do while you're praying. <laughs> <laughs> and did you find that because you're a dancer and because you um, are active, that that, um, that that was part of the what brought you to this idea of doing something that was active while you were praying? I think so. I mean, I didn't think about how let's you know what how can I pray. It really just happened. But I think it was because the fact that I was, um, you know, I'm a dancer. I was a high school athlete. I just I like to move, and I I've discovered that I don't get still on the inside by being still. Like centering prayer is just so difficult for me. But that I I get still by moving, even if it's just sort of a, a moving back and forth. Um, or swaying side by side, or just moving my hand along the paper, that those things help me to kind of get still on the inside because the body is no longer a distraction. So, or not as much. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of leads me into my next question: that you know, some people do things to get still, and you said you have to move to get still. Do you have any kind of a process that you use to connect? to source or or to divine flow when you're getting ready to create, whether it's doodling or dancing, is there, and, and is it different for the two? That's a good question. Um, I think in both cases I start by breathing. You know, one of the things that modern dance and some yoga taught me to do was to breathe. And I think when I, when I was a ballet, when I spent most of my time in ballet studios, I would forget to breathe. And I think my my movement probably reflected that. It was stiffer. And then I, I when I start to draw, I take a lot of deep breaths and, and let them out. And I always encourage people in workshops to do that, too. Um, but I partly let – I don't plan what I'm going to draw. Or now I do a lot of improv dance. I don't plan what I'm going to do. I really just kind of give my give my body or my hand permission to kind of take me where it wants to take me. And that, that's sort of very new, well, new in the last 10 years for me, because I was always, oh, tell me what to do and I'll do it. But I'm afraid to try just something on my own. <laughs> so is the improv style of dance, is that a style that you do by yourself, or is it a style that you do with other dancers? Um, other dancers. It's a, it's a group in Memphis. We have a... Uh, one main music, musician, but sometimes we have up to five musicians, and they just start to play. They completely improvise, and the dancers completely improvise. And sometimes we might connect. We might do some contact improv. But some, if you're having, if you're tired and having a bad day, you might just roll on the floor the whole time or be by yourself. But it can be. It's fun to uh, kind of the contagion of other people's energy and other people's movement style. And this group's been together for. Well, some of the people have been together for 10 years, so they, they really understand each other's kind of movement style. So there's no plan there, once again, either. It just completely is um, organic and happens. And do you, but, but, it, but it's more fun to do it in a group, even if, you, even if the movement you're doing is a lone movement. Because you get the energy from everybody else. Yes, yes. 
So is the is that improv style of dance? Is it something you all do as performances, or is it something you do just more as a group activity? More as a group activity, and I'm not even sure it's a style. It's all of us have come from. Uh, some people have never danced, but most of the people in the group have been ballet dancers or modern dancers, um, and have had experience of dance. But there's no um, particular style, and most of us pr- probably do things we never did before by just kind of finding sort of what's the wisdom inside of our body. What does our body want to do? You know, what, what's the playful movement we've never done before? Um, so it's so kind of connecting with that, um, that new energy that uh, take me to some place I've never been before. I, um, I can relate just a little bit to that. I took an improv workshop a couple uh-huh. of years ago that was more, um, you know, straight talking improv. It wasn't, it wasn't dance improv, but that I, I was amazed at that freedom that you get from just embracing the, I, the philosophies of improv and the principles of improv and understanding that everybody else that's, that's on the stage with you is kind of working under those same philosophies and everybody wants everybody else to look good. So it's, um, but you have to really stay in the moment and, and pay right. attention to what's going on. Right. You know, I think I used to think that I had a finite number of ideas and a finite number of movements and I better be very careful how I use them up. But probably about 10 or 15 years ago, I started using uh, Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. I love and that book. I love it, too. And, you know, she has this thing where you you have your morning pages and you write three pages every day. And you don't edit. You don't stop. You just write. And that has been the most freeing thing I think I've ever done. I think I initially started praying in color in in the midst of doing that. Because what it does is it clears out everything that's already in your head and kind of allows new things to come in. And I found I was writing poetry, and um, it just was an amazing process of uh, I- improvising on paper and not editing. You know, putting that kind of inner editor or putting a putting a muzzle on that inner editor is just the, the best thing. <laughs> so do you, st- do you continue to do morning pages every day? I, I used to be really religious about it, and I find that I'm much saner when I do it, but I'll go for a week at a time, and then something will happen, and I'll forget. forget. So I really do try to do that, and but I'm not as uh, sort of religious about it as I used to be. And I wish I were, because I think my things went, thing, everything goes better when I do that. Right. It even becomes, I even do that before I pray in the morning, because I think sometimes in prayer, I filter what I'm going to say. And in this, I don't filter it. And then out of that comes the material that I feel like I need to uh, bring to God. So it's really worked in the benefit of that as well. That's really powerful. So we we talked a little bit about, you know, the things that you do on your own and the things that you do collaboratively with others. Do you find that there's a different way that you connect to your creative flow if you're preparing to do something by yourself versus if you're preparing to collaborate with some other with some other people i i love to collaborate i i I think that's just such a rich experience i had a friend who um, was a storyteller and i used to say to her oh wouldn't it be fun if you could tell us you you know tell one of your stories and i'll dance to it and she was one of those people who didn't just let it stay as a wouldn't it be nice (laughs) <laughs> she always made me do it. 
And that was just the most wonderful experience. And instead of kind of taking away from each person, it really, I think, enriches it. And it's sort of like that improv thing. Oh, she did that. Now I can do this. Or um, So I, I just I love the preparation process. It's really um, like a communal spiritual experience to prepare something with somebody else. Yeah, I agree. And one of the principles of improv is yes and, which maybe you all do that with your dance as well. But like you said, it's adding on. It's taking, oh, yeah, we could do that and we could do this and we could uh-huh. do this. So, um, yes, and let's do this. So um, that's a, I love that, too, because I have a tendency to the, – the, I know I'm in trouble when I start saying these three words, but, no, and so. Exactly. And they're all <laughs> ways that I avoid kind of jumping out and doing those kind of creative things. So My excuses. <laughs> do you find that there's times that you catch yourself saying those words more than other times? Uh, probably when I haven't been doing my morning pages or taking time to pray or, you know, when I get, when I get too busy with just stuff that happens, um, that, that, that's probably when, when I'm not, when I'm not taking the time to kind of be still in that, in that movie way that I'm still. Right. Well, and it sounds like you have lots of ideas all the time and both things, especially if you're collaborating with others and ideas are building on themselves, how do your ideas come to you and then how do you decide which ideas you're going to pursue? Wow. Um, I think, well, I, I tend, I've gotten better about just leaving them as ideas. I at least now write them down. You know, I always have a small notebook with me and I have a kind of those old-fashioned marble composition books that I do my morning pages in, but in the back I have a place for, for ideas, and I've, um, which ones to pursue? Hmm. I'm not sure I have a real disciplined way of doing that. I, I, I think I, sometimes I wait too long for other people to give me permission, and that may be my spiritual growing edge is to say, I need to do this, and I'm going to do it just because I need to do it. I, I love that phrase, There's your spiritual growing edge. I haven't heard that before, but I think that that's so accurate, that we all have things that, you know, kind of are our spiritual growing edge, and they show up for us over and over again. Right. I, the, the house that I'm calling from um, is a friend of mine named Sally Markell, who's an artist. Who She was a dancer, and she was an artist. She's an artist, but only since about the last 10 years. And she had polio as a child, and her right hand didn't work very well. It was shake. So she decided she wanted to learn to paint, but she learned, she decided to do it with her left hand. And so she went through this whole process of just learning to write, and she never considered the results. Oh, I'm not going to be any good at this. And she's really been a mentor to me, because often I'll say, well, I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to be any good at it. She did it because she wanted to do it and she wanted to paint. And now she's been a, a prize-winning botanical artist just because she took it incrementally, one step at a time, and just loved, loved the doing it, loved the process, and didn't think about the results, which is that whole growing edge thing for me. So she's been a good mentor for me. Uh, seems like I get the mentors and prophets when I need them. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's good that you're open to them when they show up. 
Because I think that's part of the equation, too. Pardon me? I said I think part of the equation is that you're open to them when they show up. Well, she has taught me that. She's one of these people who, when she draws something, she sends the picture to her teacher and says, what am I doing wrong? Rather than waiting for compliments, she wants to know how to make it better. And, you know, I've always thought, well, if it wasn't right on the first time, then I'm just no good and I should never do this again. Yeah. <laughs> so she's taught me to kind of seek out people who will tell you the truth about what you're doing. If you're, especially, I mean, if you're, if you're trying to put it out for the public, what, you know, what is, does this look ridiculous? Is this good? Is, you know, help me here. Well, you know, another another principle of improv is mistakes are good, yeah. and that sometimes the most amazing things happen because of a mistake that happened right. on stage. Right. And I think that that comes from, I think sometimes you become an expert by being a chronic novice. <laughs> You're always willing to learn, always willing to think, you know, I can continue to grow. I can, what's the, ne- what's that next step? What's the yes and so? <laughs> yes, yes. So, Sybil, how has your art affected your spiritual evolution, or how has your spiritual evolution affected your art? Uh, yes. <laughs> the answer to, I think that it's hard to know at this point which is which. Um, I think the freedom that my friend Cindy gave me a lot, you know, 30 years ago or whatever to doodle really did set me on a path to be more adventuresome. And I've done things that I never kind of would would have done because of that. So at this point, it's almost like when you see two people doing a mirroring exercise or a follow the leader, if they're really in tune with each other, they don't know. The audience can't tell who's the who's the follower and who's the leader. And I and I think that that's kind of how I would say that about. Does my art affect my spirituality? Does my spirituality affect my art? I think both are true. I think that's a wonderful visual. Tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. Um, I have a website, prayingincolor.com, and I I used to do a daily blog. It's not quite a daily blog anymore, but it gives people other ideas about how to use the, the practice of praying in color. So there is a website, and you can email me through the website. That's probably the best way. Okay. And and people can also find your books on Amazon. So I'm sure there's connections on the website, and then they can just Google you and, and buy your book in a number of places. Right, right. So do you have any last thoughts for our listeners about how they might um, embrace their own creativity as an expression of their spirituality? It's real easy to say, just just do it. But um, I, I, I'm a firm believer in, in baby steps, just taking one step at a time. I also think that, you know, sometimes your boundaries are your freedom. So there's, in a way, there's no excuse for saying, I can't do this because of such and such. Well, use the boundary as a, as a starting, starting off point. So if you, you know, Choose, choose a, um, a circle and only draw circles. You know, make that or, or take circles and lines and say, I'm going to make a drawing out of just circles and lines and see what happens. That way that the whole, you know, you don't have this whole big paper staring at you. Give yourself some restrictions, and in those restrictions you can find some freedom. 
I think that is a great point because I, I know that sometimes too many choices make it hard to move forward. So I, right, I love that. Started. Yeah. Right. I love that idea of restricting yourself enough that, you know, these are our, these are my tools and this is my space. Now let's, let's just go with it. I even say that about colored markers. If, you know, if you're saying, oh, I don't know what color to choose for when I'm praying for Joe, it's like, okay, just put your hand in your, in your marker basket or whatever. Grab three markers, and you're going to use those today, and don't fret. Um, sometimes those restrictions can really allow you to be free. And that would be um, another advantage of praying in black and white, is then you don't have as many choices that you have to make. That's right. That's right. Well, Sybil, thank you so much for being on the show again. And um, tell our listeners one more time how they, can, how they can find you and get in touch with you. I have a website, and it's prayingincolor.com. Great. And thank you for, to our listeners. I welcome your suggestions or comments on this or any of our shows. You can find links to all of our shows on Empower Radio and on our website, artisworship.net. Please come share your stories of artist worship on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash artist worship. Um, listen in next week as we talk with another artist about their creative process and how it connects with their spiritual journey. May you have an inspired and creative week. Namaste. Namaste.